You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Siena and Cyprus and downtown and the Loop campus as well. If you got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We're jumping back into Romans with a series called Good Questions for the next few weeks because we're going to have some head scratchers as we go along in these next few weeks, which will be great for us. And then also, too, I want to do something a little bit fun. I want you to send me some good questions that you have, okay? So there's a QR code at the bottom of your listening guide, which you're going to need your listening guide today. We've got a lot of information to cover, and you can shoot that, and we'll put it on the screen right there as well for Digital Family and those uh, watching uh, wherever. And so you can do that, and you can say, well, what about, and what about, and I promise you I can't get to all of them, okay? But we'll see if we can have one or two, three or four each time we kick off a message. Some of them can be fun, some of them can be really deep, whatever uh, we need to do with that. But we're kicking off a series in Romans 9 through Romans 11 called Good Questions. But before we get there, I want you to know how proud I am of us as a church. This last week, we've had the Daniel Feast, which we looked at the festivals of God, one every single day. We prayed through those things. We had 15-minute increments of people praying. You signed up for it. Some of you uh, didn't sign up for it, but you prayed anyway, so that's great. We had about 7,138 slots taken. Now, if you do the quick math on that, that means last week we prayed 24 hours a day, And we filled them all up except for the ones that happened before on Sunday morning before we announced the whole thing and got everybody in. So we only had like nine that were not filled. And so we filled them up for the week, 7,138 different slots worked out. So there might be 25 people praying at one time and four praying at another time. If you add all of that up, that came to church. And I want you to just get your mind around this. Last week, we prayed a total of two and a half months, 24 hours a day. You see that? Can we just cheer for that? It's amazing. That wasn't a good enough cheer. I want to hear a louder cheer. Come on now. All right. There we go. All campuses. The Lord said my house should be a house of prayer, right? And so that's just the fuse for what God's going to give with the firecracker of how he's going to answer those prayers. Will they all be answered exactly like we want them? No, I don't think they will. But will we see God move? Yes, I think we will. Did God do something in us? Yes. And that's amazing. So I just want you to know, church, proud of you. Proud of you. Way to go. All of us. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. You prayed as well. And just go for it. And it's just a wonderful time. The average number of slots that people took was 3.4. So we had folks that were signing up, not just for one, which if you did one, that's great. But three and a half is about the range of the average of what it worked out. So we're excited about that. So now we get into a series called Good Questions. Romans 9 is a place a lot of people are afraid of. They're afraid to preach on. It looks like, oh, what do we do with this whole thing? Well, NASA has got some good questions, don't they? How do we get to the moon? How do we get back with Apollo 13, back to Earth? Do you remember that scene in the movie where they throw out all these things? They say, we've got to use these things to get them to come back from the journey to the moon. They didn't make it, but get back to Earth safely. There's good questions that we have. And so I want you to know as we jump into Romans chapter 9, I want you to know a couple things. First of all, there's godly good people on different sides and different views. And too many times as a church, the macro church, we fight against each other instead of fighting against the schemes of the enemy. 
Whenever we lose our, our focus on fighting against evil, we begin to fight against one another. There's no need for that. There's no reason for that. There's a verse to break every theological box, okay? So whatever box you got set up with your theology, I could show you a verse. You could find a verse that'll break that box. And you may go, well, I hadn't seen that one before. Because God's bigger than any theological box we could put in him, right? So there's godly good people on all different sides. And we'll be able to journey through this and it'll be a great thing. Now, I want you to, to write this down. It's kind of a, a neat way of thinking this. This is Chuck Swindoll in his Bible. Romans 1 through 8 is doctrinal. Romans 9 through 11 is national. And Romans 12 through 16 is practical, okay? I don't have a slide for you. You just gonna have to remember that. 1 through 8 is doctrinal, 9 through 11 is national, and 12 through 16 is practical, okay? We broke it out different ways as we've been going through Romans. We've taken it a little bit further down. Romans 1 through 3 is about condemnation. Romans 4 through 5 is about justification. Romans 6 through 8 is about sanctification. So there's chunks of Romans that we got to see. So we got to see Romans 9 through 11 as a package together. And to see that as a place there that is a package together. Charles Spurgeon was asked, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? And he said this, I never try to reconcile friends. So God's got this connection of sovereignty and man's responsibility. I like to think of it like this. There's a rope that we see one end here and we see another end here. And in heaven, it's going over a pulley. It's one rope, but we see two ends. We see man's responsibility, and that's focused in Romans 10. We see God's sovereignty, and that's focused in Romans 9. And what do we need to do? We need to grab both those ropes and know that they connect somehow in heaven. And so that's where we're headed with this to try to understand this. Now, throughout the book of Romans, there's been what's called the objector. Paul is thinking about objections. So Romans chapter six, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No, may it never be. So he's bringing up these points of like, somebody's raising their hand in the classroom and say, what about this, Paul? So Romans eight is nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And it's as if in Romans nine, somebody puts up their hand and says, yeah, but what about Israel? What about Israel? Can that be separated if they don't believe in Jesus? And then he jumps into Romans chapter nine. So I'm gonna give you five questions based out of Romans chapter nine, five good questions. That's our series, based out of Romans chapter nine. And the first one is this, do we have a burden for those who don't know Jesus? Do we have a burden for those who don't know Jesus? That's the first question to put in your listening guide of this aspect. Do we have a burden for those who don't know Jesus? Let me show you in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, and here's what it, what it says. In just a second, we'll get there. Write that in your blank. Do we have a burden for those who don't know Jesus? So before we get to the end of the theological and thoughts and all that, do we have a heart for people that don't know Christ? Here's what Paul says. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit. So he's making an oath. I, I'm telling you the truth, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefits of my brothers, that's his Jewish brothers, it's Israel brothers, and my sisters, my own flesh and blood. 
Remember, Paul's Jewish. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promise. Meaning the whole Old Testament has come through Judaism. The anse- their ancestors are theirs, and they are from them. By physical descent came the Christ. Jesus was Jewish who is God over all, praise forever and ever, amen. Paul begins Romans chapter nine with a broken heartedness for those who don't know Christ. And so he's saying for his Jewish brothers, I, I wish I was accursed. I wish that I could give my life. It's a very parental thing. Parents, think about this. Wouldn't you say if it's your son or your daughter that's gonna be hurt, wouldn't you say, take I, I'd rather that. If they were gonna be harmed, you say, no, give it to me. And so it's a very parental love that Paul has to say, I wish that it was me who didn't know Jesus. Because all through this Old Testament has been prophecy of prophecy, prophet after prophet, uh, uh, verse after verse, temple sacrifice after temple sacrifices to bring us to the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who is the redemption of all of the Old Testament, the statement of all of the Old Testament. Now, I want you to listen to the emotional language that Paul is using. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is the same guy that wrote in Philippians 4.4, rejoice, again, I say rejoice. Same guy that talked about the peace that passes all understanding. Talks about joy. And he's saying, I have unceasing anguish. He is aching. Is Christianity anti-Semitic? Absolutely not. Our hearts are huge for the Jewish people. So it's remarkable how here he is in this moment where he's like, I just, I'm just hurting. Before we get to doctrinal stuff about Israel, I, I'm hurting in my heart. I remember um, I was a seminary student, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary out of Fort Worth, met on the campus of Houston Baptist University, now Houston Christian University. And so I would drive down from College Station every Monday and go to school all day long. And so I had a theology test and I was sitting uh, kind of by the student center at HBU at the time, HCU now. And I was sitting there and I had a shirt on that on the back said six hours, one Friday. It was a Christian retreat talking about the cross of Christ, six hours, one Friday. And I'm cramming. I'm studying for my theology test. And this guy taps me on the shoulder. And he says, um, excuse me, what does your shirt mean? And I was like, well, we're sitting on Houston Baptist University. You don't know what six hours is on one Friday? And I didn't say it like that, but I said, well, it's, and I told him it's about the cross of Christ. I said, you know, I've had a lot of questions about that. Could I ask you a few things? In my mind, I thought, absolutely not. I have a theology test I'm about to take. Can we talk later? And I sat there and in my heart, I had this choice. Do I share Christ with this guy or do I study my theology? I chose to share Christ with him. Long story short, he came to know Christ sitting right there in in the uh, student center. And I said, look, let me get your phone number. I'm gonna call you later. I'm so glad this is incredible, blah, 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 blah. And I packed up my theology and I ran to class, literally ran to class, ran into the class late. And the teacher said, Greg, you're late. And I said, yeah, but I just led somebody to the Lord. And he said, you're saved by grace, but you graduate by works. (laughs) I said, "Uh uh-oh. And I sat down and he was cool with it. And it was fine. We actually prayed as a class for the young believer that just trusted in Christ. So I just give you that illustration. I still went and got my theological test done. But I knew that the primary thing was for me to share my faith and lead somebody to the Lord. Do you see it? It's just a comparison thing. So Paul begins and he says, my first heart, my big heart 
is that they would know Jesus Christ, this Jewish Messiah, prophesied of the Old Testament, came all the way through. So the first question for me and you, doesn't have anything with Calvinism or Arminianism, doesn't have anything to do with predestination, uh, foreknowledge. You actually don't see predestination or foreknowledge in this chapter of Scripture uh, as far as that word's usage. Do you have a burden for lost people? Do you care about people that don't know Christ? Maybe you're here and you are what we would call in the Bible lost. You don't know Christ. That's our primary heart is for you to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The second question is found in Romans 6 through 13. Now, this is going to get pretty weighty, so here we go. Let me ask, or let's read it. Here we go. Now, it is not as though the Word of God failed, because not all who are descendant from Israel are Israel. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Isaac's a child of promise, a supernatural birth. That is, not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but the children of promise are considered to be the offspring. So just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're born into a Jewish family doesn't mean that you have faith in Jehovah, in God. Verse 9, for the statement will come of the promise, at this time I will give Sarah who will have a son, and not only that, but Rebekah will conceive children through one man, our father Isaac. For those, for her sons had not yet been born, or done anything good or bad so that God's purposes according to election might stand, not from works from the one who called, she was told. The older will serve the younger, and as it is written, I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. Here's our second question. Here's our second question. Our second question is this. Has the word of God failed because Israel rejected Jesus? Has the word of God failed because Israel rejected Jesus? I got that question straight from verse 6. Now, it is not as though the word of God has failed because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So here's your answer. No, God is faithful and his word remains, remains true. So the question is, has the word of God that has been pointing all throughout the Old Testament to a Jewish Messiah to bring the chosen people of Israel into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, died in Jerusalem, born in the line of David, Jesus, Jewish, 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 but Jewish, the, Israel has rejected him. Has the word of God failed? I mean, at the end you go, well, that didn't work. I mean, is that the end of it? We get the game plan, the game plan, then we walk out and we get on the field, and by the fourth quarter, we're down by 50. Do you just go, well, that plan didn't work? No, the word of God did not fail. God is faithful and his word remains true. Now, he's going to do a couple things in this section, okay? This is the weightiest of sections. So you got to hang with me. Students, particularly listen, because this will come up in your college experience. I've been in college ministry many, many years. College students are always want to talk about this, okay? Here's the first thing he uses. He distinguishes between ethnic Israel and believing Israel, okay? Did you see that? Just because you're born in Israel doesn't mean that you believe in God. So no one goes to heaven in groups. You don't go to heaven because you're Baptist. You go to heaven because you know Jesus personally and individually, okay? And so he's saying just because you were born, in, just because you are standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you're in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. 
There is a belief, a personal belief that has to happen that you trust in Christ and you have personal faith to believe in salvation. So that's why he says, Israel is not believing Israel. Okay, let me give you an illustration on this. I'm a native Houstonian. I was born in Herman Hospital in the medical center. You don't get any more Houston than born in Herman Hospital in the medical center, okay? I was an Astro buddy when I was a little kid. I signed up for the little, my dad signed me up, and we would, I'd, you know, go to the Astrodome, right, to see the Astros. And I still go to a bunch of Minute Maid Park games, been to playoffs, been to World Series games. It's just great. I love the Astros. Y'all know I'm a baseball fan if you've been around here for any, any time period. So love the Astros. Been going to Astros since I was little. I want to just show it to you, just kind of prove it to you. This is 1980. My dad got me out of school because we were playing the Philadelphia Phillies in the playoffs, unfortunately lost. So guys' names like Joe Sambito, Enos Cabell, Jose Cruz, Nolan Ryan, Terry Poole, uh, Denny Walling. I mean, all these guys, Art Howe, all these, these guys, if you're an astrophysicist, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. All those guys, I got out of school to though, and then that is Channel 13's truck standing right there, okay? So that's pretty Houston too. Holding up my 1980s little banner there, which I actually still have. And so that is Houston right there. Now we must have lost because I don't look too happy, okay? Um, but let me tell you this, all the games I've been to, countless, 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 and you too, all the hats, all the shirts, all the this, that, and the other half. Can I tell you something that breaks my heart? I'm not on the team. I'm not on the team. I've been to the games, I've been on the field, I've thrown out the first pitch on behalf of our church. I've known players. I'm not on the team. A contract has never been signed to develop a relationship between me and the Astros. And if you don't have a contract between you and Jesus signed in his blood, you can sit in the stands all you want. It's belief in Jesus Christ. So I want to move from him talking about Israel to us talking about Christianity. It's not just about you being around the things of God. It's you being a Christian that knows Christ. You can have the shirt, you can have the hat, you can have the pennant. Are you on the team? Is there a contractual relationship? We would call it a covenant in the Bible between you and Jesus signed by his blood that you are on the team, a part of the body of Christ and the family of God. Do you see it? So please, 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 I, I fear this as a pastor of a large church and in a, in a southern town of Bible Belt kind of origin type stuff that people would come to church and never know Jesus. You gotta know Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. You gotta know Jesus in a personal way. You don't just get in in groups. It's an individual statement. His heart's breaking for the Jewish people. So he uses this by saying, now it was Isaac, and it was Ishmael. Isaac was a miraculous supernatural birth. Ishmael was of man. Born again is a miraculous supernatural birth. And you and I have to be born again, supernaturally, miraculously born in Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God. And so we see that right there in that. Amazing, amazing. Now, here's the verse that's real troubling, verse 13, okay? Verse 12 as well. The older will serve the younger, verse 13. As it is written, I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. Now, there's different views on this verse, but I'm gonna give you a view, okay? As it is written, I have loved Jacob and hated Esau. That's a scary verse, isn't it? We don't like hearing God hates somebody. Does it make sense to us? 
Now, here's what I want you to think about. This section of Romans 9 through 11, according to the Believer Study Bible, according to Adrian Rogers, according even in Chuck Swindoll's Bible, the way he listed out, is primarily national, not personal. Okay? Here's what we do. We read that and we go, well, God loves me, I'm a Christian, and God hates my neighbor, he's not a Christian. And we personalize it so much we miss all of this section here is talking about Israel. 9 through 11 is talking about Israel. Can we take some individual things in it? Well, sure we can. Was Esau and Jacob real people? Well, yes, they were. But they symbolized nations, okay? So I want you to just do something. Look in your Bible. Just flip through your Bible in your lap. If you don't have one, then we'll get you one. And just look at the headings of Scripture. These are written by men. This is not written by Paul. But I just want you to see how many times Israel is mentioned. So the heading of my chapter 9, these first five verses, Israel's rejection of Christ. Chapter uh, 9, verse 6 is headed with God's gracious election of Israel. Then we get to um, uh, verse 30, Israel's present state. Chapter 10, uh, verse 14, Israel's rejection of the message. Chapter 11, Verse 1, Israel's rejection, uh, not total. Chapter 11, verse 11, Israel's rejection, not final. There's all throughout this, Israel is what it's talking about. Let me show you a Bible verse. Genesis 25, verse 24, uh, 22 through 24. But to children inside her, this is, this is uh, what we're talking about here with Jacob and Esau. But the children inside her struggled each with each other. And she said, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? So she went and inquired of the Lord. So she's asking God, what did God say? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. The one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And when the time had come to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. So this is a national statement, two nations in her womb that I have chosen Israel. Jacob's name means Israel that the Israel people will be the chosen people, okay? Now, that helps on the personal part. So is God going, I hate you, and I love you, and I hate you, and I love you? Because statistically, he hates more people than he loves. For God so loved the world, okay? Now, you could take this other places. I'm just giving you, I'm giving you one facet of a diamond, okay? And so the second thing is this, that it is primarily about the election of Israel, not the individual election. And what does it mean when he says he hates? That is a place of prioritization. Because in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, you know this verse, Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciples. Okay, now are you supposed to hate your wife? Well, I thought Ephesians said, love your wife. You're supposed to hate your children. I thought we we're supposed to actually sacrifice and leave behind things for our children. Are you supposed to hate your mother and father? I thought we were supposed to honor our mother and father. What does that mean? It means in comparison to the love that God, that we have for God, that it looks like anything else is a prioritization of hate. Does that make sense? So I want to love Jesus more than I love my wife, more than I love my, my kids, more than I love my, my church, more than I love my parents, more than I love my own life, Lord. I want to give my life to you because whoever finds his life shall lose it. And so I want to give it to you, Lord. So there's a priority that is here. So Jacob, Israel, I loved. Esau, I hated. I 
had a chosen people of Israel. Now, are there many other predestination verses throughout the scriptures? Absolutely. Are there things that make us scratch our head? Absolutely. Let me quickly say that there is sovereignty of God and there is man's responsibility. And it's hard to figure out how to connect those. It's a pulley in heaven and God doesn't make an apology for it. We'll see in a minute. And he doesn't give a complete explanation for it. Now, Paul saw this in his life. Hang on with me. Don't, don't let me lose you. Paul saw this in his very life in ministry. Paul would go to the synagogue and he would preach. You know the stories of Paul. He'd preach and what would happen? A few Jews would come to know Jesus and then he'd get kicked out of the synagogue, typically by the religious leaders. He'd be kicked out. What would he do? He would leave and then he would go to the Gentiles. He'd go to Mars Hill. He'd go to a rented facility. He'd go to jail and he would share. And so he saw this lived out in his own life. I'm going to preach to the Jews first. The Jewish folks are going to reject and then I'm going to go to the Gentiles and I'm going to share the gospel. Okay? So this is a difficult place. There's no doubt about it. It is a challenge. And remember what's happening here. The objector is saying, in, in Romans 8, you said everybody, nobody will ever be separated. What about Israel that's been journeying all along? And Paul says, okay, let's talk about it. It's a personal faith and decision to be able to have that. So did the word of God fail because Israel did not keep its promises? No. God's word is true and he's faithful and his word remains true. Question three. You with me? Still going to hang with me? Here we go. Question three, I want to give you the question first. Let me give you the question first. Is there injustice with God? And the answer we'll see in a minute is God always is just in what he does. Okay, so let's look. Now we're going to look in verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Uh, look where I got my question. Is there injustice with God? Okay, absolutely not. He's speaking to the objector. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells us that Pharaoh, uh, tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and my name and to the ends of the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to and he uh, wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So is God unjust? No, God always is just in, he, in what he does. So let's talk about this for a second. He said, I'm going to have mercy on Israel. I'm going to have mercy on the believers. I'm not going to have mercy on the unbelievers. And so here he has in this moment, let's just ask, is God unjust? Deuteronomy 34, verse 4, here's what it says. The rock, that's God, his work is perfect and all his ways are just a faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. So God is just. And Paul affirms that we need to be dependent upon God and dependent upon his mercy for salvation. Without God's mercy, we all deserve condemnation. And he's perfect in all his ways. Then he gives an example of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart before God. Does that kind of trouble you sometimes? Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened his heart. We'll read God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, what do we do with that? How's that work? Well, here's the thing with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart before God hardened his heart. Numerous times we get Pharaoh hardened his heart. Numerous times we get opportunities for Pharaoh to repent and he doesn't. He hardens his heart and then we see God hardens his heart as well. Now, which one happened more? Did God harden his heart more? That would be sovereignty of God. Did Pharaoh harden his heart more? That would be responsibility of man. What's it going to be? 
Happened 18 times that some heart got hardened. Ooh, here we go. You ready? It's going to solve the problem for us. Nine times God hardened his heart and nine times Pharaoh hardened his heart. Mm. God won't give us the answer. Wouldn't it have been better if it would have been 10 times God hardened his heart and eight times Pharaoh hardened his heart? Wouldn't it have been better if 10 times Pharaoh would have hardened his heart and eight times God would have hardened his heart? Wouldn't that have given us something? Nine to nine is what we get in chapter nine of Romans nine, okay? So we're left again with the quandary, aren't we? We're left again with this plate, this place of saying, is it responsibility of man? Well, yes, it is. Is it sovereignty of God? Well, yes, it is. Is it to Israel? Yes, it is. Is it to us personally? Well, yes, it is. Does God know everything that's going to happen? Yes, it is. And in our Western mindset, we want either ors. We don't want both ands. And we have to live in the place of biblical tension. Give all your possessions for the poor. And then in Proverbs, it says, save for a rainy day. Biblical tension, right? Shake off the dust of your feet if they don't listen. Forgive them 70 times seven. Biblical tension, keep going to the hard places. Let's go on mission. Care for your family. Go to the ends of the earth. Biblical tension, right? And so we've got these places. I love what Danny Aiken says, because we spend a lot of time in Christianity arguing over, is it 51% this and 49% this, or 51% this and 49% this, okay? Here's what Danny Aiken says. He's the president of Southern Southeastern Seminary, and he says this, recognize that extreme positions on either side of the issue are biblically unbalanced, theologically unhealthy, and practically undesirable. Biblically, we affirm the truth of all of God's word. Words like chosen, election, foreknowledge, predestination are in Holy Scripture. We should embrace them, examine them, and seek to understand them. Always remembering that intelligent, godly people will likely embrace different interpretations. That's what I began with from the very beginning. Godly people in all things. Last sentence. Words like believe, evangelist, go, preach, receive, and repent are also in the Bible. Biblical balance requires that we embrace and affirm these as well. So here we have this place, and we'll see it when it's lived out in chapter 10 as well. We have this place of saying, is God unjust? No, God is just in what he does. Question four out of five. Here's what it says. Let me give you the question first. Who are we to argue with God or find fault in God's activity? Who are we to find fault in God's activity? Your answer is this. When it's clear to God and a mystery to God, we trust God. It's clear to God. Mystery to us, we trust God. So what do we do? And let me just ask you, do we find fault with God in his activity? Here's what C.S. Lewis said. This is really profound. I want you to listen to this. Ancient man would go to God assuming he would be judged. Ancient man would come and go, I'm sorry, I'm sinner, only through Christ. Uh, uh. Modern man comes with judgment against God. See the difference? Ancient man would come and say, I'm fearing judgment. Modern man comes and says, you tell me, God, why is there so much famine in the world? I want to know. God, why is there so much pain? God, why is this not right? Why, why do we not have an answer on this? How could you do this? You tell me, God. And C.S. Lewis says, you put God in the dock and us in the jury. And Paul's saying, you don't put God on the witness stand and cross-examine. Who are you to ask God? C.S. Lewis again, to argue with God is to argue with the one who gave you the very ability to argue. 
It's as if you're cutting off the branch you were sitting on. And so Paul says, now let's look in verse 19, he says this, you will say to me, therefore, why does he still, still find fault? This is six questions he gives. You will say to me, therefore, the objector, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Or a potter have no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for his honor and another for dishonor? And what if God wanting to display his wrath makes his power known, enduring much patience and the objects of wrath? And what if he did this to make known the riches of the glory of, on the objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for his glory on us, the ones he called, not only from the Jews, but also the Gentiles? Then he goes in this whole thing about Isaiah that he's grafting in the Gentiles. So he says, who are you to talk back to God? Now, we don't like that answer, but here's the deal. We before God are not the customer, we are the clay. Hear that? We're not the customer, we're the clay. Cypress, Siena, downtown, listen. We're the clay, and God can form and mold what he wants to do. Our life belongs to him. Paul gives six questions about the sovereign activity, power, and purposes of God, and how they're at work here on earth, and we have to just go, Lord, I don't understand it, but I'm trusting you through it. Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what should we do? When you think of all these things, you say, Lord, we trust you. We trust in you. So let me just tell you, there is a mystery to the gospel and there's a mystery to following God and you've got to be good with mystery. This week, I prayed, people at our church prayed, we sought the Lord, I with tears sought the Lord, prayed, 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 because I got a text that a good friend was ill and after we prayed, 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 I got the text later that night that he had died. What do I do with that? Godly husband, godly man in his 60s, Good on Monday, dead on Wednesday. It's a mystery that I trust God with. Why do people suffer? It's a mystery that I trust God with. And then we'll bring up personal mysteries in your heart. You keep walking with God and trusting him. His ways are higher and we don't know. So what do we say? We trust him with that. I wanna give you a verse of scripture because I want you to know that there is far more in this book of the Bible about God's love than there is God's wrath. And even in talking about God's wrath, we went over this in Revelation. This is a key verse. It's Isaiah 28, verse 21. And here's what it says. For the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rise up in wrath as the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his strange work, okay? To do his strange work and to perform his task, his alien task. The love of God is his normative work. The wrath of God is his strange work. He doesn't want to do it. He desires all men to come to repentance and to come to know Jesus. So when God, we don't argue with God, we trust him with all that is that. Now, Question five, okay? 
Question five you should be asking is, how did Pastor Greg get through those four questions in 35 minutes? That's amazing already, okay? Now, question five, though, besides that, is this. What should we say then? What should we say then? Answer, good news, salvation is by faith in Jesus, okay? So what do we say? We get this quandary. What do we say? Good news, salvation is in Jesus. Here we go, verse 30. Where did I get the question? Here it goes. What should we say then? I'm just taking this scripture by scripture, Paul's questions. What should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes by faith. So righteousness, salvation comes by faith. If you're born Jewish, all of the Old Testament is talking about this Jewish Messiah named Jesus. And I ask you this question, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you are born in a Christian home or in whatever home, Buddhist, whatever it is, salvation comes by faith. Will you trust Jesus to be your Savior and walk by faith? See it? That's what it comes down to. That's where Paul comes. And then we're going to get in Romans 10. We're going to launch out on man's responsibility, a lot of it. Romans 11, we're going to go, who can know the mind of the Lord? Okay, putting all these things together. So here's just a little illustration for you, and we'll close up. I went to a restaurant, and this illustration breaks down, so don't go all the way with it, okay? I went to a restaurant and said, men on the door for the bathroom, and I opened it up, and I walked in, and there's a joke they put on the back of the door, women. So you got in there and you went, oh, where am I? Okay, I'm not, so I, walk, I opened up the door and went, ah, okay, okay. Now, that's the illustration just to give us a little light moment. It breaks down now at this point, okay? It says, if you are standing at the door of heaven and the front door says, whosoever will, and you walk in and you close the door and you turn around and you said, chosen from the beginning of time, okay? Now, I'm not talking about men and women in bathrooms and, okay, just giving you a little, little lighthearted moment on a deep message, okay? That's all I've done. Whosoever will. I, lots of verses on that. For God so loved the world, all these things. And then there's chosen from the foundation of time in Ephesians chapter one and all throughout the scriptures and more and more to keep on going with that. So here's the deal. Both are in the Bible, Warren Wiersbe says this, the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility will never be solved in this life. Both are taught in the Bible. Both are true. Both are essential. Now, that is what we're with, okay? Give you a last quote. This is a good quote. Someone asked Albert Einstein's wife, do you understand the theory of relativity? She said, no but I know Albert and he can be trusted. So do we understand all of these things? No, but I know God and he can be trusted. I know Jesus and he can be trusted. So that we end up with three action points. You don't even have to write them down because I knew we'd be short for time at this point. I printed them out for you in the listening guide. Here's what it says. Love God with your mind by growing deeper in your understanding of who he is and what he's done. Love people with your heart by sharing the good news for salvation in Jesus. Walk with God in humility and mystery and let the Lord do his work. Paul is not vacillating. He's oscillating. 
so that the whole room can get the wind of the Spirit, okay? Have I left some things out? Absolutely. If I said everything there's to be said on this, it's been a battle for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yes, I did. That I do it because I want you to get to lunch today. That's exactly right, okay? But do we know that Jesus Christ has come as the Savior of the world and that today we can place our faith and trust in Him as Savior and that He loves us and He wants us to know Him as Savior? Yes, we can know that. So the action points, because I knew we would be out of time, are already written for you at the bottom of your listening guide, okay? No blanks, no anything, because I knew at this point you'd be like, wow, what a deal. No blanks. Here's what it says. Action point one, love God with your mind and growing deeper in your understanding of who he is and what he has done. Number two, love people with your heart by sharing the good news for salvation in Jesus. Number three, walk with God in humility and mystery. What does our church believe? Just lastly, I want to give you this because I think this is important. This is from our statement of beliefs. I'll probably mention it next week as well. Election is the gracious purpose of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man. Dot, dot, dot. Did you see them put together? Election, free agency of man. That's from the Baptist faith and message, which pretty much every Baptist church you're going to go to, for the most part, is going to have that as their statement of beliefs. So there's room for different beliefs. Do I understand the theory? I don't understand it completely. But I know God, and I know Paul, and I know Jesus, and they can be trusted. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than any box we could ever be in. You break every box that there is. Lord, we know that we're not talking about NASA trying to get people to the moon. We're asking how people can come to Christ and go to heaven. And so we know that you have made a way through Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God. So Lord, as our minds are full, our hearts are full, may we worship you and respond to you. Thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than we could ever imagine. And we hold these two ropes in a place of biblical tension. Just as Warren Wearsby said, the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility will never be solved in this life. Both are taught in the Bible, both are true, and both are essential. We believe that, Lord and we trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.